Hey everyone, welcome to the MVP pod. This is your host, Medusin. And I'm Harry. And this is episode 1.1 of the pod, and we're discussing Twitter. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Twitter's story from inception to Elon's acquisition. We even dive into things like how Twitter made its first dollar, which is a really great story. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know about Twitter. Then we go on to how Twitter built out its ad platform. Right. And, you know, based on that conversation, we also talk about other tech ad platforms such as Google and Facebook and compare them with Twitter. And we'll dive into the nuances between these different social networks, such as, you know, being based off of interest graph versus a social graph. At the very end, we played a little game about what we would do as CEO of Twitter and what we'd want to see on Twitter since that position is currently open. Yeah, let's get straight into it. The story of Twitter is actually pretty interesting. I never knew about this before until I started researching for the podcast. So well, before Twitter, there was this thing called Deo. It was a podcasting app founded by these three individuals called Evan Williams, Biz Stone, and Noah Glass in 2004. And they were operating, but eventually Apple came out with their own podcasting platform, you know, the podcast app. And from there, they realized that they couldn't compete with Apple. And so they had to pivot. They literally had to pivot the entire business. Uh, to something else to stay alive, right? So they asked their employees to propose side projects that they were working on. And amongst the many side projects that the employees were working on, one of the engineers, Jack Dorsey, he proposed a short message service, SMS type app, which one would, you know, send or share blog-like updates with friends. So at the time there was blog, there's a blog spot and things like that. But um, the way that he envisioned it initially was pretty much like people will send a text to a phone number, like a specific phone number. I think it was 4040 or something that Twitter used, but they would send a short message to this phone number and they would show, you know, all these like messages in their UI, which was pretty much like the Twitter app on the website, right? This is kind of how um, the initial character limit came about. At the time, sending messages via SMS, you can only use a limited amount of characters. So Twitter's initial character limit was actually a constraint rather than a feature. <laughs> um, and then eventually, uh, as the smartphones came out and the purpose of using SMS kind of went away, they just realized they can just build an app for this. They stopped using SMS, but they kept the character limit uh, there. And then they eventually incorporated the company in 2007, where they got the domain name uh, for twitter.com and they named Jack Dorsey their first CEO. Before actually incorporating, Jack was able to send his first tweet in March 2006. And that's the famous tweet that uh, everyone knows of today, uh, where he just tweets, just setting up my Twitter. Yeah, so Jack was the CEO of Twitter. It started to catch steam, it was growing. And two years after Jack was CEO, he was replaced by one of the Odeo co-founders, Evan Williams, as CEO. He also only lasted two years before he was taken over by Dick Castello. Uh, Dick Costello was actually CEO of Twitter during this whole thing and he got promoted to CEO. Dick was more of a, I guess, industry professional and board members just wanted someone to take charge and I guess like get Twitter to start making money. Up to this whole time, Twitter was not making a single cent. And that's pretty impressive for about three years that Twitter just wasn't making any money until that point. And finally, Dick comes in with the 
goal to somehow get their first dollar and sell somehow. And there's a few options obviously available to them, but Twitter's first dollar revenue came from data deals with Google and Microsoft. And so those were fixed amounts for a fixed period of time. Uh, and Dick was the one that kind of led that charge to get those deals done. However, they they all recognized that it was not as scalable, um, that kind of revenue. And they were looking to basically look at other options or other revenue streams. And the main one was advertising. So that's when they started like looking to building their ad platform. And there wasn't too many companies like around that time, it was Facebook, Google, and Twitter that were really starting to like build their business with advertising, advertising as their main source of revenue. But Twitter faced unique challenges compared to other other companies like Facebook or Google, where at the time Twitter was actually operating as more of an engine versus the actual client-facing application. So Facebook at the time, you know, they had their own Facebook kind of webpage that users were able to access and connect with friends and connect with communities and stuff. Twitter, they had a, like the Twitter APIs and they had their own engine, but third parties were the ones that were actually creating uh, the actual client interface. And so that was like a important time in Twitter's timeline where they had to transition to eventually take over that client facing side. The Twitter we know today is you know, the Twitter mobile app, the Twitter webpage, but at the time it was really just the Twitter backend, if you will. Yeah, there was a bunch of Twitter clients out there on the mobile or website, um, uh, just because like Twitter's API was pretty much as open to everyone to use. A funny thing is, uh, actually, the interesting thing is that Instagram actually grew off the backs of Twitter. So at the time, Instagram was what they had two employees, and they were using since Twitter's API was open, and especially their social networks API was open which meant that Instagram could, you know, once you go onto Instagram, you can connect via Twitter. And once you do that, uh, Instagram then looks at your friends on Twitter or your, your followers on Twitter or the people following you and suggests people to follow on Instagram. So that really helped their cold style problem where they could start building their own social network out using Twitter. I guess like you're kind of giving away your, your competitive advantage. I, I, and they may not realize that at the time, but um, that network was probably the most valuable asset and yet here they are giving this an an open you know open source for any other platform to build off of which is you know generally i guess it's a positive thing for the community and being able to build more products that are competitive however for twitter as you know a business that wasn't making a lot of money like that was that you know that could be seen as potentially a, a poor decision because yeah now kind of can bit them in the butt with instagram going as much as it did yeah, it was very, it was very weird. Twitter, the whole time they knew this was happening, and uh, from uh, the Quiet podcast, we heard a lot about Dick talking about this situation, where he says that they knew that this was happening, and like Dick knew the Dick knew the founders of Instagram and what they're doing. Just two people they didn't really think of it as a threat, and then they eventually tried to acquire Instagram while they were a two-person team, and at the time, the founder of Instagram, they pretty much said that they didn't want to. Uh, they didn't want to like, pursue the acquisition at the time. And instead, they want to raise money. And I guess now, that's a, that's a very good choice in hindsight. They raised money. They grew the team in a couple of months. This was, this happened in a couple of months from the time of Twitter trying to acquire Instagram. 
a couple months later, they raise money, they grow the team a bit to like 10, 12 people. And eventually Facebook acquires them for a billion dollars, which at the time was, was a lot of money for an app that didn't make any money and didn't really have that big of presence it, it has today. That's something that I think Dick also mentioned was it caught them a little bit off guard, but they realized the, the implications immediately because Facebook was their, their biggest competitor and they were a behemoth at the time. And, you know, with all these resources, they're also able to acquire Instagram, which is built off the back of Twitter. So that you know, didn't bode well for uh, for Twitter. It was interesting, Dick's view as to why Instagram would have been a good acquisition for Twitter was um, because he felt that Twitter was generally more, um, well, you, you were following, you weren't following friends and family as much. Like You're more likely to follow other people that you're interested in, whether it's news networks, whether it's, you know, sports or celebrities or, you know, in tech, figures in tech. So the social graph, if you will, or the people, the interest and the reason why you follow people is different compared to an Instagram where you may, you know, also follow your friends. So that was, I guess, a big kind of competitive advantage, as well as the fact that Twitter was more text focused and Instagram was more pictures and videos focused. Um, yeah. And so Facebook was, you know, that it's it has text and it has photos and videos but twitter was primarily text instagram obviously is primarily photos and video so that i guess twitter's perspective was the acquisition of instagram would have put them on level somewhat level playing field with facebook or at least in a better position to compete yeah and it works so well right even pre-acquisition when you post in the instagram post like the link of the instagram post uh when you share it to twitter the photo that you posted will render as a tweet or, or just like work seamlessly. Whereas post acquisition, they completely got rid of that feature. So Instagram and Facebook, I guess, made the decision to turn off that experience for users. They wanted photos to be viewed on Instagram or Facebook, not on Twitter. Now that we see it sidetracked a little bit, let's, let's try to get back to what we were talking about initially, which is how Twitter built their app platform. When Dick came in, a lot of these, like some of those data deals were already in place, meaning it was in progress. And then Dick comes in and he's like, oh, let's get this done. Let's get this out of the way first. Let's get that initial, you know, initial revenue coming in. So he did it, which is he signed those deals and got it done with Google and Microsoft. And they, the team knew, they knew that this was not scalable. They can't just rely on data deals every couple of years and contracts to be signed every couple of years and they had to build out their own app platform. And yeah, as Harry mentioned, like there wasn't that many companies that did it, that, that, that build out their app platform and building an app platform is actually very, it's very complicated. Your app platform is very unique to your product. I mean, in terms of Twitter, they realized that they had the real estate to put in ads where it didn't really disrupt user experience, meaning they, they decided to put ads in the form of a tweet. So. Even today, like when I, when I, when I scroll through my feed, it, it, I don't immediately catch a tweet as an ad. I have to like, once I click on it and then I go back and then realize that, oh, that was an ad. Yeah. Like, I think that it was interesting that, you know, how that transitioned where I think it was in the Stratechery article, article describing, uh, the ads and how apps were shown on, um, these like social media platforms where Facebook and Google before it was kind of on the on like a left-hand pane or right-hand pane, similar to like how a newspaper ad would, would be. 
And then well, it's kind of unclear on who actually started it, but eventually went into in-app advertising. So essentially, you know, on Facebook, if you if you look at the Facebook feed, you'll see posts that are actually advertisements that will kind of like look like a regular uh, post in your in your network. Same thing with Twitter. These tweets started to come in, or ads started to come in the form of tweets in your Twitter feed. It's a little like like you like you're saying. It's a little deceptive, I guess. Like you may not think, um, you may not realize that it's actually an ad. It may seem like something that's supposed to be on your timeline, but I suppose that's actually positive for the user experience because you're you're getting recommended something that you are actually interested in and would be looking to purchase. Um, so yeah, I think that was a pretty big shift in advertising. But yeah, I guess jumping back, um, so Dick comes in, as I mentioned, he decides that we need to build an ad platform for Twitter, but he didn't know anything about sales, right? So he brings in Adam Bain from Fox Interactive to build out their sales org in Twitter. Twitter board had someone in mind already, and Dick comes in and he's like, no, we want to hire this person from Fox Interactive. And they were kind of taken aback from that because uh, what does someone from Fox know about building out an ad? App platform for a tech tech company, um, and well, the board was thinking, you know, people, someone that helped build that platform at Google or Facebook should be the right hire. Eventually, that the hire turned out to be a good thing, and uh, they got their first year of ad revenue in 2011, and Twitter did over 100 million dollars in ad revenue, um, and then the following year after that, they did three times that, which is Pretty impressive how they were able to go from zero to hundred million, and then three hundred plus after that. You know, I, based on that growth, I guess Twitter started to uh, compete essentially with the Googles and Facebooks of the world with advertising. However, like looking throughout the industry and comparing those those organizations, apparently Twitter engineering had a pretty bad reputation at the time because they couldn't keep the site up, uh, which is pretty funny. To you know, like it, it's. It's obviously like a pretty difficult engineering task, and there's a lot of moving parts for you know Twitter. But um, apparently, like the, the the engineering department had that kind of reputation in the industry, and they had to go through like a rewrite of their back end. And it looks like there was a lot of work done essentially in in Twitter around this time. Some examples that kind of highlight this, and Dick kind of mentioned it um, as, as one of his anecdotes at the time was um, there was like a tweet where. <laughs> the Russian president came to the Twitter office to make a tweet and the site crashed on that day and the tweet wasn't getting sent. And so one of the engineers literally went to the back end and hard coded the tweet into the database, inserted a tweet. And that's how it showed up on pages, which is pretty nuts. And I guess it's, you know, it's signs of the time how, how Twitter was operating back then. How would you, I guess, kind of define competitors, really? I guess for, I don't know. I feel like for social media apps in general, I feel like anything that takes away uh, your screen time would be considered a competitor. So YouTube as well would probably be a competitor. I think it was the CEO of Netflix that said their competitor is sleep. Um, where, like, literally, you know, it's the time that you're awake or the time that you're any anytime that you're able to like look at a screen essentially like these these companies are basically competing for that 
and they all have their own unique aspect. I suppose thing about competition, I guess you could say there's a bucket of advertising spend and how that gets allocated to each of these companies is sort of competition. Um, and so how well does how well does an advertiser get ROI on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram versus a Twitter? In yeah. that sense, you know, it's interesting. Dick's point of view was that it's actually a lot harder to get an ROI on Twitter versus something like Facebook because of micro advertising. So maybe you could or micro targeting. Um, maybe Matt, you could speak on that a bit. Yeah, like. Facebook's ability to micro-target users is very, very valuable to advertisers because uh, it just means that by micro-targeting, what we, what we mean is that like more relevant ads uh, to a user. So in scrolling through your Instagram feed, you see more relevant. Uh, uh, you see something like, for example, you see an ad to buy a bag that you were just you know searching about or you just liked on another Instagram post. Uh, so they're able to like show like these these targeted ads that increase conversion, which is good for advertisers, right? That means they have, they have a better return on investment. So they spend, the amount of money they spend on Facebook ads gives them a better return in terms of purchases or revenue on their end. Whereas on Twitter, you can't, the, the, the ability to market target isn't there. So for Facebook, since they can market target, they, they have like this extraordinary pricing power where, you know, they can price this ability to micro target very high and people will buy them like advertisers will buy them because they're effective but uh, yeah if you've noticed over the past year when you're on your phone you're at least if you're in the latest ios version you get this prompt every time you install a new new app where it asks you whether you want to share your data or share background data and you have to opt into it you have to either click yes or no and a lot of times, like even me, I always press no, right? Like, why would you even press yes? It doesn't communicate to, communicate to you the benefit of pressing yes. Whereas location and things like that, you kind of understand the benefit. Whereas like this thing, uh, when you see it, initially you're just like, what the hell? Why do I want them to track what I do in the background, right? There's a whole thing about people thinking that Apple is doing it on purpose, uh, you know, to eventually build out their own ad platform. We thought something we probably won't dive into yet, but uh, yeah, I mean this this uh, this impact of bringing in AT and T uh, has really hurt like Facebook because their efficiency or their ability to micro target is not as good anymore. Uh, I mean, at least in the states, more than fifty five percent of like smartphone owners own an iPhone, right? So that's a significant amount of impact. Facebook said that it's going to cost them ten billion dollars billion dollars in revenue the next year, which is insane. And I think Facebook, you know, one of their, you know, other kind of competitive advantages, like you're saying, um, they're able to micro-target because you're building your own profile. You, you usually have your own Facebook picture, you have your own name, you have like where you went to school, where you where you work potentially, who you're in a relationship with. Like all of these these characteristics or properties, if you will, of a, of a user are available on Facebook. Whereas on Twitter, I think there is a shift to want to get there with you know Twitter Blue and Verify, there is a there is a concerted effort to now move into verification of users so they can really build out these profiles. But a lot of Twitter accounts are are also just you know sort of spam accounts slash uh, accounts that are not uh, like anonymous accounts essentially. 
So it may be real people like tweeting, but you know, they're, they're staying anonymous. And so it's harder to, to build out the user properties. Generally though, I think that there is competitive advantage for Twitter in being that, you know, a lot of Twitter accounts are following interests, um, things that they're interested in, whether it's like different sports or whether it's entertainment uh, figures and stuff like that, where you may not see that as much on Facebook. So like arguably you should be able to get better Twitter ads versus Facebook based on your, based on those interests. So I guess there's you know pros and cons to, to that. Yeah. I think from someone uh, like looking at it holistically, you may think that all these social networks, they kind of have very similar properties, but Twitter is actually very different from something like Facebook in terms of their social graph, how their social graph is built up. As you mentioned, Twitter is built off of interests. You can call it an interest graph where on your Twitter, you're following people or following things that you're interested in. That could be a comedian or it could be, you know, your favorite the NBA team or things like that, right? You want to follow these things to curate your timeline. You follow these things to make sure that you have the ideal timeline for yourself versus Facebook. When you're on Facebook, you sign up to Facebook. The first time you hop on, the first thing you do is you add your friends. You add your closest friends and then you add the people that you went to high school with. It's it's very like intuitive to build out your network versus Twitter. It takes a bit more time for you to build up your, you know, your network uh, and your interests. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I, I hadn't really thought about that, where Facebook's uh, feed is essentially just the people that you, you know, you communicate with or like, you know, people in your network, but it may not be as intentional. You may not know what you're, what you're going to see in your feed. Whereas Twitter, you generally, like you've given clear indication of what you want to see on your timeline. And that's how these ads are coming out. Like these ads are trying to replace like, essentially what you would normally have seen on a, a tweet from someone that you you follow and now it's going to be something like it's more of a promoted tweet from another company so you have a lot more indicator indicators for that um on instagram you're more like you're just kind of scrolling and if you see something of interest you're, you're potentially more likely to actually click and deviate from what you're doing and make a purchase whereas on twitter you're actually like more engaged and you want to see what's coming from the people that you're following so the things that you're seeing on your twitter timeline are more important aka that's why you're more engaged and so you're less likely to want to to leave your timeline click on the ad and purchase something so i guess you know there there is nuances to you know how valuable a network is or how valuable a timeline is i guess at the end of the day if you're, if you're looking at advertising um you want to be on an app like instagram or facebook where users are more likely to end up converting and purchasing something whereas on twitter it's arguably less likely which is maybe why they're actually seeing less revenue than facebook and instagram the the state of twitter is um has changed a lot so we talked about the the castello the castello's era with twitter so he helped generate twitter's first dollar and then also helped form the app platform for Twitter that started making it like, you know, constant revenue, uh, annual revenue. Another big thing is he IPO'd the company, which is huge. And he also didn't last very long after that. There's a lot of, you know, backlash. I feel like this is a very constant thing for Twitter where uh, about uh, a backlash from, I guess, from users uh, and also like 
from investors, from being a public company, is the idea that Twitter isn't innovating. They weren't looking to, they weren't doing stuff to like drastically grow the revenue and people were getting frustrated. And so Dick was replaced by Jack. So Jack came back, uh, original founder of Twitter. Jack Dorsey comes back as CEO of Twitter. Yeah, the past few years has been very different for Twitter. Elon, the richest person in the world, at least I don't think he's the richest at the moment, but he buys Twitter and he cuts like 70, 80% of staff now, right? They went from 7,000 to 2,000 now, from what Elon said in the Twitter spaces, which is significant. Uh, it made sense. I think people, uh, after Elon acquired Twitter, we kind of all knew that cuts are coming because Twitter, like many other tech companies, uh, there are a lot out there, was known to be not lean, meaning they had more headcount than needed. But people did not expect this drastic of cuts. He, he made major cuts to Twitter in the attempt to cut costs drastically and get it to profitability, which is something that Twitter could, was not able to do since its inception, like many other companies, tech companies out there. Yeah. I use yeah. Spotify. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uber. So many, so many companies. Yeah. And I guess it's interesting, you know, with that acquisition and subsequent cuts the narrative that at least you know that's been coming from from twitter was that it's it's this bit of a sinking ship or like it's um you know they're in the fast track to bankruptcy like those are some quotes that were coming out from elon himself um but interesting like there wasn't that sense of urgency before the acquisition necessarily you know perhaps post-acquisition there's a lot of advertisers that that were actually were leaving twitter um maybe there's a significant amount that were you know kind of like protesting if you will against the acquisition and decided to leave or for other strategic reasons they decided to leave that decision um it kind of highlights how unstable or insecure the advertising revenue really is because it's so on a you know it's it, it can it can go on a whim essentially there's no contract there's no long-term contracts if advertisers want to pull out they can they can pull out so I guess that, that was kind of highlighted in this whole experience of this acquisition and um, and the resulting cost cutting, you know, it kind of just had to be done, it sounds like, to, to stay afloat. Yeah. You said that this is a common thing for advertising companies in general, but I feel like it might be more, Twitter might be more prone to it than, than like a company like Facebook. Uh, so I was reading this article by Ben, Ben Thompson from the Career. He talked about how even when some of the biggest advertisers pulled out from Facebook from its number of controversies that happened, like the whole Cambridge Analytica, that's just one of it. There's so many other countries that happened with Facebook where advertisers decided to pull out, but it didn't really hurt their top line. I mean, it did hurt their top line revenue, but it didn't really like put them at risk at all. Like, and they were not even worried. It may also be due to how, um, you know, Facebook's ad platform was built out. It was built out in like an auction-based style where when these people pull out, it opens up the door for other people to come in and buy up those ads at a cheaper price. There's strong demand for ads where people are going to come buy cheap ads that are going to help them, like give them a better ROI than than previously. Yeah, I think Twitter also has a auction-based sort of model to... Um... You know, price their ad, ad space but to your point i think that the overall demand like there's a queue of companies who are lining up at facebook versus versus twitter but i i think you know that kind of points to you know is is twitter 
in the right space? Like, should they be um, primarily or an advertising-based company? Because as of right now, about 90% of Twitter's revenue is from advertising. Uh, they do now offer a subscription model, Twitter Blue, which is a new sort of product where they're um, providing different features that you know, regular users can't access. It thinks about eight bucks a month on Android and about 11 bucks a month on iOS. And, you know, I, I think Elon's direction is that he wants to move towards more of a 50 50 model, or at least just more subscription based revenue versus advertising based revenue. That's obviously a bit more sticky than advertising revenue, perhaps. So that's something to keep in mind, I guess, on, on how you know, Twitter can proceed something to keep an eye out for uh, if they end up, you know, being successful yeah. in that endeavor. It's hard to tell. Like, it's very, it, it seems like very chaotic at Twitter right now. I definitely would not be wanting to work there at the moment, at least. I mean, it, I don't know. It, for me, it feels like they're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. I don't know if it seems like they have a, like a plan rolled out to kind of fix things, you know? Um, and even going by Twitter Blue, it feels like, like, at least like when Twitter initially rolled out, it, they were being mocked quite a bit because it didn't add any real value. Like some of the features were like, you know, being able to change the app icon color and, you know, these are novelty features that no one really needs. Like people, like it's, it does not make, like there's no moat to it. There's no stickiness to the thing where people, if they, the people will lose out on something if they were to like unsubscribe. So it'll be interesting to see what, what else they add to Twitter Blue without hurting their free users who actually help build that network, right? Or keep that network alive. So uh, yeah, that'll be a very uh, interesting, interesting thing to see how they balance that medium. What would we do to, uh, you know, monetize Twitter or get Twitter to a profitable point? This part of, I guess, the part will mostly be our opinions. So what would you do, Harry? As CEO. Um, yeah, as if CEO. You're, if, you're, if you're asked to be CEO. If tomorrow, <laughs> Elon, if tomorrow Elon like, DMs you on Twitter and asks you to be a CEO, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like one thing that we can all appreciate is how much potential Twitter has. And it's pretty exciting to think through uh, scenarios and features that would be, you know, cool to see on, on Twitter. I think there's some that are already like they're, they're, they're coming in place, like being able to post long form video on Twitter. I think that's something that's going to be important for the future of Twitter. And I think it will be interesting to be able to engage with that kind of content on Twitter. So that's, that's something pretty cool, but I would focus probably more on the real time nature of Twitter. Like like I would, I'd be curious to see what else we can do in terms of capturing a moment. So like, you know, with the World Cup, I think they did a pretty good job of being able to you know, have like a section where you, know, you could basically see all tweets related to the World Cup, be able to see the score, able to see um, the videos of like the actual goals that happen on Twitter. So like that's, that's I think, you know, pretty valuable. Um, that's something that's existing, obviously. I think similarly, <clears throat> being able to see location-based tweets or would be pretty cool. I think that there is like a feature already to like have like geotag essentially where your tweets are coming from. But 
I think, you know, if, if there was like some elements of, okay, maybe it's a little bit dreamy, but like, you know, in the World Cup, if I was able to see like live from someone's phone, like a live stream of, of what they're able to see at the World Cup, like I wasn't able to go to Qatar, but that would have been pretty cool to be able to actually like, you know, see live what's actually happening. Or like, you know, if there's like protests or something around the world, because there's a lot of, when, the reason why I bring up protests like three or four times so far is because it was quite, it was, there's a lot of protests that are happening in, in the Netherlands and in Europe and Paris right now. Like, I just wasn't hearing about it in mainstream media. Like, it was just not coming to me. And I was a little concerned because I, I wanted to keep up with these kind of news stories. And I found that Twitter was a pretty, you know, there was actually hashtags for that. And I can actually follow through and see what was happening in real time and follow along. Um, and like, what, what, what was the commotion about, essentially? So like that, I think that element would be pretty cool. Some sort of like live streaming feature in these, these kind of events and capturing those events more, you know, essentially better, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like Twitter, um, uh, being able to like have Twitter will be a product person's dream because it feels like it's it has so much potential that there's so many things that you could possibly do obviously not everything will stick but you could you could there's so many avenues that you can pursue to help like crank the monetization or you know user growth of twitter uh yeah i feel like the previous management of twitter and just the just the clunkiness of the company it might have slowed things down but now i think it was i think elon acquiring twitter was a good thing i'm not sure he'll be the, he's the best person to run it but him acquiring it and getting you more leaner and just bringing up the urgency to build things at Twitter is a good thing. There's so many different things they can do to, <clears throat> again, monetize Twitter. For example, like on Twitter, there's so many different types of users as well. So there's the power users, there's the silent users. Uh, for power users, you can give them, like you can cater the subscription part more towards them. Um, meaning like, for for example, I think you, you met, you wrote this down in the notes, which is power search. So, being able to use Twitter to find instant information uh, on things happening. Uh, so like kind of beefing up the search for paid users, getting them more, I guess, like more relevant information, more curated information, something like that uh, for people that you know pay the subscription. And uh, yeah, I mean, like there's so many micro SaaS apps out there that are pretty much like Twitter tools. For example, being able to save Twitter threads for later reading and, being, uh, and things like that. So this is an example of, of the different SaaS apps that, that are out there for Twitter. So incorporating those features into Twitter Blue could be more valuable than what they exist, what they have uh, right now, in my opinion. But that would, again, cater to the more power users of Twitter. So again, that could be a different tier, right? I'll be willing to pay way more than eight bucks for something like that, something that actually helps me like retain and categorize my knowledge on Twitter. That's not something I find valuable as a silent user of Twitter and someone that just uses it as a, as a source, uh, as one of my main sources of information. Another thing that I hope they do is not cannibalize their advertising unit while trying to build other subscription stuff. You have to be really careful. I guess that's the big, another big challenge with Twitter is you have to be careful of the features that you add because that could really hurt the network and just like the way people interact on the platform, which as a result can hurt their advertising revenue or their whole advertising platform. I think they should be like investing in both 
at the same time instead of like choosing one or the other not being like i hope they don't just shift completely to subscription thinking that their advertising will be fine they should be investing in the platform which will be as a result investing in advertising another cool thing i saw ben mentioned this in one of his article about splitting twitter into two different companies so for example he calls one company twitter service co so the company that is uh responsible for building out the Twitter service or the platform, like the API itself, and another company that, that builds out the, the client or the website and, and the app. I think that's interesting because that the service company could fully focus on free speech and the, uh, you know, ability to use the, use the platform, uh, make it as scalable as possible, build out these critical features that keeps people sticky and, and on the platform. Whereas like people on the app side, they can build the app however they want, right? The reason it's good that it'll be two different companies is that the service co, the service company could cater to not just their own app company, but it could also be to anyone else that wants to play, build on top of Twitter. And they'll be charging those people as, as a subscription, in a subscription model. Um, uh, because Twitter's current platform and their network is very valuable, uh, where like there's so there's so much you can do with it. So, for example, the very basic thing would be like from this, there'll be a bunch of other apps, Twitter apps that that spawn, and each of these apps will have their own moderation policy, their own way to monetize, uh, and stuff like that. So, um, again, that would protect them from things like you know regulatory stuff where if you really wanted to just you just create a new client and uh moderate it a certain way like you don't like users would have the choice to move from one app to another one twitter app to another they don't have to stick to the current app they're on and demand management to moderate a certain way like this will cater to all these different platforms all while like this all feeds into the main service right which is the big big uh thing uh i'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate here or at least Think about the other perspective. So I mean, like, it's interesting that you know this idea from Ben, like to to you know, go from this one organization to splitting to two sort of subsidiaries like Twitter App Co and Twitter Service Co. It sounds you know very familiar because this was kind of like how it was sort of set up beforehand, right? Like before I think pre two thousand nine was essentially how Twitter was set up, and some of the risks that they saw at the time were the fact that they didn't own the complete user experience, if you will. So in this case, like we're saying that there is a Twitter app co that will continue. So like, you know, Twitter, as you see it today, will still continue. It's just that there will be two different entities. And uh, however, that does open the door, as you mentioned, for other third parties to build apps that are potentially better than Twitter app co. And so if that's the case, like you may be cannibalizing Twitter app co. Um, if, if there's no special relationship between Twitter service co and Twitter app co, and, you know, you can build like another, uh, you know, another third party can build another Twitter app, then, you know, that again, like Twitter starts to lose out on their, um, they don't own that user experience again. So like, that is like the primary reason why they, they, they went the other direction with just to actually like own that user experience, get their own Twitter app, get their own front facing platform so that they can like start targeting ads. Uh, so that they can, you know, own the advertise, like be able to better advertise to their users. However, as a product, I I do think that that would be pretty. Um, it'd be interesting to see other 
specific niche use cases come up without harming Twitter's ability to be a platform for a proper discourse. So I would still, if that model were to go through, I would want most of Twitter's you know, primary users, the way that we see Twitter today, I wanted to continue on one platform where we would continue to engage in you know different debates and ideas and you know keep that power of Twitter. I wouldn't want it to be mutually exclusive where one Twitter one one user is only on Twitter app or one user is only on a third party because then that kind of reduces the 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 benefit of being able to engage different perspectives. So I, I think I would want I want that. However, I would be interested to see different niche niche kind of um things that are built off of twitter's engine that are not necessarily for discourse like you know debating different topics if you will i think that there is a path forward for that but you know i'd be curious to see how you know what what you'd be sacrificing if you if you actually went that route yeah i think the increased competition obviously would hurt the twitter app itself and it goes it goes back to what they were initially doing but twitter started off as as a service and they didn't really focus on the client experience even the app itself was a different company. Like the best Twitter client was, was, uh, was a separate company that was building it out and they eventually bought that company. And that's what the app is now, right? It's not even something they built from scratch. So, I mean, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. Uh, what Ben was saying was pretty much that it'll kind of be the Twitter service would kind of be a protocol, a new protocol on the internet, a privately owned protocol versus not something public. It's kind of like email, as a protocol, uh, this would be a protocol as well, where anyone trying to, I guess, like build does this interest-based uh, social network would would use Twitter, and I guess like it it all spawn it's also spawned like all these different other applications, maybe not even social, like it might not even it might not even be a social networking app, it could be something else, but they'll be leveraging that you know the data that Twitter has or the the graph that Twitter has, uh, to build out what they want, but. Yeah, it will definitely be cannibalizing their app, their app company, Twitter AppCo. Um, but I mean, it would make the, but as a result, the trade-off there would be as a result, their overall network will get stronger and they'll have that you know, subscription revenue rolling in from the service side. Yeah, I guess I wonder if, you know, if there was a user, how valuable, so in the, in the model, um, so we have Twitter parent co, if you will, and they own Twitter app co, they own Twitter service co. If there was a user that was on, not on Twitter app co, but on, I guess, Twitter service co, how valuable is that user for Twitter as a whole? And, you know, it, I guess, is it is it going to benefit them? Like, clearly, if we have more users on Twitter right now, there's a, there's a clear benefit. You get more voices, you get more engagement, et cetera. However, if there was more users, like I'm, I'm just wondering. Like in terms of, sh like it's a private company. It's a share. It's they, it's a business. At the end of the day, like I'm, I'm curious. Like how you know how beneficial is it for Twitter? I guess like I wonder. Like it, can they move to B two B model essentially? How profitable or lucrative is that um, for them? I don't know how realistic this is, honestly, because this would be a huge shift for Twitter, and they're already in like a whole. Uh, it's kind of shit show already. Uh, so I don't know if this will ever materialize or, I mean, it could be something, I don't know, but uh, it's just like an interesting take because it's a drastically different from the the other opinions out there in terms of what Twitter should do. 
So, uh, yeah, I, th I just think it's interesting. I'm not sure how realistic it is, though. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just curious, like, what's the, you know, like, kind of like trying to help, I guess, bulletproof, I guess, Ben's idea of, like, you know, why that, why that's so beneficial for Twitter. But, but yeah, to your point, there are so many options moving forward. Like, who knows where, where they take it. And interestingly, like, I know, like, Elon had also mentioned, like, if he, like, he said he would be stepping in as CEO, he was looking for a new CEO. But he did say that he'd want to start the, the engineering engine. I think it was, or like he wants to essentially ensure that it, you know, Twitter service code, if you will, is actually running as it should uh, in Twitter right now. So, <laughs> call um, micromanagement metrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, but yeah, like that, 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 that he, he also, I guess, sees that distinction, you know, between service code and APCO within the, the current entity. Um, and like, you know, his folks would be on the engineering side. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he still that he understands the value of the network itself and making sure it's resilient and scalable. You know, so he wants to keep eyes on it, which is good. Uh, I just hope I hope I'm I'm hoping for Twitter success and I hope that they bring in someone that could really do it. I mean, like someone that has that product experience, the experience running a social or not even running, but just having the experience in building products in the social networking space. Someone that's proven and also has a grid to run twitter i hope you bring someone like that yeah like i'm a, we're all rooting for twitter i think um i think it someone with the right intuition to know who you know what 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 to pursue and where to allocate resources is, is pretty critical i guess that depends on what their north star truly is but like you know given you know twitter's mission for free speech as well as you know obviously to be the everything app i think is what they quoted it being um you need to be able to prioritize you know there's so many there's so many features so many different avenues or paths that you can go through as we've clearly discussed here <laughs> so many options to take to unlock twitter's potential but you know being able to prioritize is this is going to be critical so i guess we're wishing the best of luck for for twitter and uh and all users hopefully if <laughs> we get to see something we all enjoy yeah I guess if Elon sees, sees this, you know, hit us up. Hit us up in the DMs. We got some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> we can swing your way. <laughs> come on the MVP pod. Oh, yeah, yeah. MVP pod as well. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of paths forward for Twitter. And be interesting to see where, where it actually goes from here. Uh, as a private company, they're going to have a lot more leeway and a lot more. I think they're at the right size now and, uh, you know, the right organizational structure to to pivot quickly and, and you know head into 2023 in the right foot so i mean you know we're excited to see where where it goes so that, that's kind of like wrapping our thoughts on twitter I'm excited to see where it goes uh and thank you all for listening to the mvp pod my name is harry and i'm Medusin. yeah and <laughs> is, uh, starting off. until next time peace